Today is the last uh, Sunday of our sermon series on Sabbath. Next week, we start a sermon series that Pastor Michelle has been working on for a little while, and it's going to be good, and you're not going to want to miss it. So please be with us next Sunday. Uh, I have up here a stack of books for those of you who um, are interested in maybe reading a little bit more deeply in uh, Sabbath. So these are some of the resources I've been uh, pulling from over these past few weeks. I know not everybody is like me and likes to read footnotes and trace those things down. But if you're one of those oddballs, you're welcome to come take a look and get some reading recommendations. Exodus chapter 16, verses 21 through uh, 31. As you're turning there, just a couple other quick announcements. Uh, Pastor Michelle and I were in Louisville. That's how you say it. I learned Louisville, 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 Kentucky. Does that sound right? Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, This week for our uh, denomination's uh, pastor's conference. And I got to sit in on a discussion group that uh, Pastor Michelle led on justice in the church. And I wish you all could have been there too. It was great. She did a fantastic job. Um. But it's really, really good to be back. I also need to let you know that we have a screening coming up of the documentary uh, 13th. Uh, Has anybody seen 13th? Raise your hand if you've seen 13th. Okay. So uh, this is going to be kind of required viewing for all of us who will be participating in the Faith and Race workshop that you've been hearing about. I think the information about the documentary is in your bulletin. Just make sure to note that. You can watch it on your own as well. Uh, It is available online, uh, Netflix and, and that kind of thing. But We'll also have a chance to watch it together for those of you who would like to do that. Exodus 16, verses 21 through 31. Uh, If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This passage takes place as the children of Israel are wandering uh, in the wilderness, and God is providing for them. Beginning in verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. So from this passage, just for a few minutes before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to look at the connections between Sabbath and worship. And it's maybe a little bit odd that it's not until the very last uh, sermon in this series that we're talking about worship. Uh, Sabbath um, seems to go well with worship. Isn't that what you do on a Sabbath day as you you worship? We noticed and have repeated throughout this series that the only thing that God makes holy at creation is time. 
he, he sets aside the seventh day as a sanctified day, as a, as a holy day, as a sanctuary in time, as holiness in time. God doesn't build himself a temple to inhabit. He inhabits time itself, and then he invites us into that sanctuary in time with him to rest, to stop our work. A sanctuary in time. Well, what do you do in a sanctuary? You worship. So this maybe seems a little bit obvious. Worship, of course, is, is making known someone's worthiness. In the Bible, when, when God is worshipped, God is elevated and lifted above all else on heaven and on earth, and his worthiness is made known, is made beautiful, is made public and, and visible. Worship in the Scriptures, one theologian says, is an external action of an internal attitude. It's a posture before God in our heart, in our mind, knowing that God is worthy, but then that posture coming out in worship. So one of the the main uh, words in the Old Testament, especially to describe worship, one of the main phrases is to bow down. It's physical. It's active. It's in our It's in our bones, it's in our hands, it's in our our bodies. This is how we worship God. We make known his worthiness by worshiping him. But Sabbath and worship are not the same thing. We keep Sabbath, we stop our work, we cease our work, we we rest. Worship can happen any time. You and I can worship all the time. When we're going to bed, when we're getting up, when we're at work, we can worship, we can ascribe worthiness to God any time. Amen? We're not limited to worshiping God on the Sabbath. So we want to be clear about this. Sabbath and worship are not the same thing. We shouldn't conflate them. However, and what I want us to see today is that particularly in the, in the Scriptures, corporate worship was meant to flow from Sabbath-keeping. Corporate worship, the community gathering to worship, to ascribe worthiness to God, was meant to flow from, to come from, Sabbath keeping. The psalmist says in Psalm 95 and 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. It's a festival psalm. It's a Sabbath song. The people are gathering together in Sabbath And the expectation is that worship will happen. We'll bow, we'll worship, we'll kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sabbath is the instigator for worship. Sabbath keeping is the spark for our worship together. And I wonder this morning, how might our experience of worship change and evolve as more of us begin to accept God's gift of Sabbath? How might our experience of worship change and grow and expand as more of us accept God's gift of Sabbath? I want to make four quick connections for us between Sabbath and worship. First, Sabbath requires faith, and faith nourishes our worship. Keeping the Sabbath means we stop working. We cease our activity. We cease our productivity. We stop working. The passage shows us the Israelites stopping on the Sabbath day. They even had to stop collecting God's gift of manna on the Sabbath. 
The manna would not spoil. The food they cooked the day before was still fresh. This was a miraculous occurrence in the wilderness with no refrigeration. On this day, on the Sabbath day, as their food kept, as they had more than enough to eat, they remembered that their provision is always from God. That everything they have is a gift from God. Faith is not theoretical on Sabbath. We need faith to keep the Sabbath. Do you remember the passage from a couple of weeks ago when the people of God are told you keep Sabbath even when you're plowing? And even when you're harvesting. In other words, you keep Sabbath even when it seems irresponsible to keep Sabbath. I got to plow. I got to put seed in the ground. I've got a short window. And God says you keep Sabbath even now. And you keep Sabbath at the harvest season. In other words, you keep Sabbath even when you you think you deserve what's coming to you. Have worked for this. I deserve this. And God says even then. You stop. This requires faith. Would you agree? To have to be dependent on God every single day in the wilderness for manna, for this weird food that just kind of shows up each day, but then on the Sabbath day to not even go looking for it. To trust that what God had provided for you is enough. Keeping Sabbath requires faith. And I would assume right now that there are some of you who have never really kind of lived into the practice of keeping a 24-hour Sabbath on a regular basis. And you're like, oh, that doesn't seem like it would require faith. Sounds like you're just a little bit laziness is all you really need, right? Like just, I want to testify to you this morning that keeping Sabbath regularly is an act of faith. That on a weekly basis, you will feel unable to actually keep a Sabbath day. There's too much to do. There's too much left undone. There's too many things, too many people depending on you to stop, to rest, to cease. Sabbath keeping requires faith. And that faith in turn nourishes our worship. Because when we see that God is faithful all of the time, we can't help but worship. When we remember how God has provided, when you remember how your life has been spared, when you remember how your prayers have been answered, how the prayers of your family for you have been answered, when you remember that you still have control of your mind, when you remember how the car swerved at the last possible moment, how the job came through, how your reputation was defended, when we remember God's faithfulness, what happens? We worship. We cannot help because we're a forgetful people. Our minds are far more consumed with what's coming tomorrow than what God did for us yesterday. And so we have to stop and keep Sabbath as an act of faith. And all of a sudden we remember, oh, God did that. Oh, remember when I needed that and God came through just then? And our worship is nourished. Sabbath requires that you live by faith, which becomes a weekly reminder that your entire life is lived by faith. 
Maybe we get it twisted Monday through Saturday. Maybe we, we think that we're in control on those days, that we're responsible for making everything okay on those days. But on Sabbath, when we cease our plowing and our harvesting, when we refuse to collect any manna, when we live by faith, on the Sabbath we are reminded of the gift of faith that God has given us. And then we have to worship. We have to testify We have to sing. We have to move and shout because God has been faithful. Here's my thesis. As more and more of us live into the weekly practice of Sabbath, as more and more of us find ourselves depending on faith, as more and more of us are reminded on a regular basis of God's faithfulness to us, we will need to be here on Sunday. To worship. We will not have to conjure up emotions. We will not have to try really hard to feel a certain thing. We will be in touch with God's faithfulness to us. And we'll have to worship. Amen? Here's the second thing Sabbath requires community, and community grounds our worship. We've seen repeatedly over these weeks that Sabbath is meant to be practiced together. It's not an individual act. We're invited to receive Sabbath as a community. Now, for the Jewish people, Sabbath was a communal practice. It centered on the home, but it also involved and informed the social practice of the entire community. So the land was given a rest. The poor were cared for. Foreigners and strangers were welcomed into the weekly rest. It's different for us. Historically, Christians have recognized Sunday as a Sabbath-like day, a day to recognize and commemorate Jesus' resurrection. But if we're honest, there's also a strong tendency for you and I to downplay the importance of Sabbath. Many of us do this weird theological thing where we're like, well, that was the Old Testament and Jesus rescued me from the law, so I don't have to rest anymore. I'm free from that. And because of this tendency, we can have a, 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 we can have a, a tendency when we do start to practice Sabbath to do so in a very individualized manner. So we'll say things like, I am practicing Sabbath. This is my Sabbath day. I didn't do a good job of keeping the Sabbath. We make it individualized. But if Sabbath is a sanctuary in time, then we are invited into this rest together. We don't construct Sabbath on our own for our own purposes. Sabbath is a sanctuary that already exists because God made it holy a long time ago. Amen? It's a sanctuary that is simply waiting for the people of God to enter. When we receive the gift of Sabbath as a community, our experience of worship changes. Like we already noted, we can worship any time as individuals. But if we're honest about the biblical vision of worship, we have to recognize that that worship mostly centers on the diverse people of God coming together to worship. Most of the time, the Bible has in mind an us when it talks about worship. We worship together because in Christ we have a new and shared identity. 
We are the people of God, just as God rescued the Hebrew children from bondage in Egypt to form them into his new people. So we have been rescued from our sin and rebellion and our isolation and loneliness by Jesus. And now we exist as his people. That's our identity. Which means that I don't come to worship as one individual among a collection of individuals. This is a tricky one for us. This is a hard one for us. I don't come to worship as one individual among a random collection of individuals. I come as a member of a body. I come to worship as a necessary and beloved person within the community. My worship, your worship is grounded in community. What does that mean? It means that when I worship, when I proclaim the worthiness of God, I'm doing so not solely from the limitations of my own experience. I'm worshiping from my place within an entire community of worshipers. I'm invited into the testimonies and the struggles of the community. My worship comes from the pain and the victory of this community, from the joy and the lament of the members of this body. My worship is rescued from the confines of my narrow and limited experience of God and is grounded among an entire people's encounter with the living God. Hollis, he's, he's big and strong, but he's, his experience of a limitless God is always going to be limited. Do you see? Right? When I come to worship as one individual among a collection of individuals, my experience of God, my ability to ascribe worthiness to God will be limited by myself. But Sabbath grounds me in community. And when I show up as a member of the body, all of a sudden, Hollis's testimony impacts my worship. And, and Michelle's uh, trial and, and struggle of this week informs sort of how I'm praying and, and worshiping and how I come to God. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like maybe I'm complacent. Maybe think everything's okay for me and I have no urgency to my devotional life. But if Michelle is kind of on the edge of some things and that informs me, then my posture before God becomes more urgent. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? We need the community in its fullness, in its flaws, in its struggle to worship God more fully. Are you, are you, are you with me? Community grounds our worship because every one of us has a testimony this morning, but it's not just for you. It's for the community. It's for the body so that we can more fully worship our God together. Here's number three. Sabbath requires embodied presence and embodied presence frees our worship. In Matthew 22, Jesus has asked What's the greatest command that God has given his people? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's quoting from the Old Testament, from a Hebrew prayer known as the Shema. The Shema says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the, and the Jewish people prayed this prayer daily in the morning and in the evening. It's an embodied prayer. Very different than how you and I often pray. 
we recognize God, we lift him up, and then we get to our needs. The Jewish prayer, the prayer that is most central, that ends the day and begins the next day, is an embodied prayer about loving God with all of who we are. Heart, soul, strength, mind. This prayer, this command that Jesus gives is is an embodied prayer. It's an, it's an embodied command. It recognizes our entire enfleshed selves. It's a prayer that couldn't remain detached from the rest of life. For Jesus, it led naturally to the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Sabbath keeping requires this kind of embodied presence. Sabbath is a day that roots us in the creation, as we remember God stopping his creative work. It's a day that roots us in our own bodies, our hearts and souls and strengths and minds. We cannot keep Sabbath without being embodied and present to the day. You and I live in a world that seeks to disembody us. There's a big sports game today, right? And we'll watch the Super Bowl and we'll listen to how these players are described. And it, it, it takes very little time to figure out what the men on the field are valued for. Would you agree? It's a, it's a particular thing that each position needs to do and do well. I don't particularly care about emotions, minds, relational landscapes. It's the way we think about work in our society. Some jobs require head and no body. Other jobs require all body and no head. We think about celebrities, and we know, particularly with women, after a certain age is reached, kind of just disappear from our vision because we know what we value. We know what part of who they are matters to us. We live in a world that disintegrates us, that disembodies us that separates us, tells us that certain parts of ourselves matter and other parts are less valuable. But we can't do that on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, we have to be aware of our whole selves. We cannot Sabbath without being attuned to our bodies. The Jewish Sabbath begins with candles and songs and prayers There's bottles of wine. There's fresh bread that was made special for the Shabbat meal. There's a shared table with neighbors and children sitting around it, rejoicing and singing and welcoming the Sabbath. It's an embodied experience. The senses are all engaged intentionally. The Sabbath invites us to embodied embodied presence, to be present fully as our whole selves to God to ourselves and to one another. We cannot keep Sabbath as a disembodied, distracted, or disintegrated people. And this embodied presence then frees our worship because then we come to worship as our whole selves. Sabbath has reminded us that we are physical creatures, People with the capacity to worship with hearts and souls and strength and mind. That there's not a part of who we are that must be left 
behind. We come to worship aware of our voices and our limbs. So when Marquita says, raise your hands, our hands are already going up because we remember we have hands to worship God with. We hug and sing and raise our arms and bow down in worship. We taste the communion bread and wine. We experience embodied presence in worship. And when we do, our worship is freed. Because then we worship with the holy affirmation that we are beloved by God exactly as we are. Our height, our eyes, our fading vision, our memories, our heartache, our accent, and on and on it goes. This person is who God loves. Not a part of me, not a piece of me, not the one day version of myself that I dream to be. This person embodied right now, beloved by God. And how can you not worship when that's true? Number four, Sabbath requires holiness and holiness releases our worship. A couple weeks ago in the New Yorker magazine, there was a story about American billionaires, most of whom supported our current president, but who are kind of hedging their bets. And what they're, anybody read this story? Yeah, okay, (laughs) it's crazy. So what they're doing is they're buying up unused nuclear warhead silos in the Midwest and they're retrofitting them into... Um, luxurious fallout shelters, like super luxurious. Others are buying up land in New New Zealand because that's been like, apparently that's where you go if there's the zombie apocalypse happening. You want to be in New Zealand, apparently. They're buying up huge estates and building helipads and private landing strips. They have escape plans for when everything goes wrong. Jesus would say they're building bigger barns. There's a deep tendency in our hearts to be greedy, to take, to hoard. The Bible talks about holiness a lot, and as we said on the first week, there's a distinction between a holiness that is more about purity and a holiness that's about distinctiveness, set-apartness. And we said that Sabbath, when God says to keep the Sabbath holy, it mostly has to do with this set-apartness, this distinctive side of holiness. Verse 21 of our passage says that each morning everyone gathered as much, as much as they needed. Can we just pause there a second? Is there anything more anti-American than that <laughs> verse right there? Every morning everybody gathered just as much as they needed. Our economy would not know what to do if we all started living like that. And when the sun grew hot, it, the manna, melted away. The Sabbath became the reminder that God would always provide what was needed. On the Sabbath, they didn't have to collect because God kept their food for them. So this meant that on the other days of the week, the people only had to gather what was needed. This is something we can miss about Sabbath keeping. Again, some of, some of us who are more novices to keeping Sabbath, we think of it more as just this one day set apart, sort of self-contained, we do this thing. But, but what you see is that God wants Sabbath keeping to spill out into the rest of your life. The posture of faith before God on the Sabbath is meant to inform how you live the other days of the week. Amen? 
So God provides enough for them to eat when they're not working, when they're living by faith. So that means on the other days, I only have to take what I need. Because God provided for me. God comes through for me. I can live by faith. I don't have to steal yours. I can take just enough for me. Are you with me? Thank you. Keeping the Sabbath was a way for the Hebrew children to be holy. To be holy as a reflection of their holy God. This did not mean that they were perfectly pure. Certainly did not mean that they were without sin, that they were righteous. Only God can be these things. But by accepting the gift of keeping the Sabbath holy, the Israelites expressed a distinctive holiness that served to point the world to their perfect, sinless, righteous God who would provide for all of their needs. Keeping the Sabbath holy is no less distinctive a a practice today as it was then. It's still strange. People will still be a little confused. But just as it was then, this distinctive holy practice is meant to bear witness to our generous and faithful God. How? How does the Holiness of Sabbath keeping bear witness to God. Well, it releases our worship. What do I mean? When we think about holiness, there is a tendency that I've observed to think about something exclusive. Something that requires protection. Something that might isolate us from our neighbors and our city. I can't be contaminated because then I won't be holy any longer. It's often how we think about holiness. But the holiness of Sabbath should rearrange how we think about holiness. Because this distinctive Sabbath holiness was not meant to exclude or protect or keep pure the Israelites. It was actually meant to open them up to others. To open them up to their neighbors, to the poor, to the immigrant. In this way, Sabbath releases our worship from becoming insular or self-serving. In this way, Sabbath keeping cuts at the heart of our tendency to hoard to take just for ourselves. On the Sabbath, we are confronted with our sinful and hoarding ways, and we repent into God's generous embrace. On the Sabbath day in worship, we bow before the God who is worthy. We encounter His love for the vulnerable and the marginalized. The Holy Sabbath does not insulate us from this world. Instead, it releases our worship from our tendency to hoard so that instead we are made vulnerable to the world. We are made available to the world and its great needs. Sabbath keeping turns us toward the refugee with compassion and justice. Amen? Worship that is born out of Sabbath keeping causes us to stand alongside the immigrant with courage. Worship that is released by Sabbath keeping allows us to see and to respond to the concerns of our Muslim neighbors these days. 
slogans like America first hold no allure and no appeal to those whose worship has been released from selfishness, isolation, and fear. Somebody say amen. I'm almost done. Sabbath requires faith, and faith nourishes our worship. Sabbath requires community, and community grounds our worship. Sabbath requires an embodied presence, and this presence frees our worship. Sabbath requires holiness, a distinctive, vulnerable holiness, which releases our worship for the good of our neighbors. As women and men created in the image of God, we have been made to worship. We find our identities most clearly when we ascribe worthiness to our God. We find our identity and our purpose as we bow before Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So church, let the gift of Sabbath nourish your worship. Let it ground your worship within community. Let Sabbath free your worship. And especially... In these anxious days, let Sabbath release our worship as a testimony to the God who loves the immigrant and welcomes the refugee and has embraced you and me. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Thank you for these weeks learning about Sabbath. Thank you, Spirit, for the ways you're opening our eyes to the very good gifts you give to your people. As we come to the table now and we receive the the best possible gift, as we remember and receive the grace of your son's death and resurrection for us, God, we ask that you would be forming us into a people that trusts you, that believes you, that knows that your goodness and your generosity to your people is always bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. So I'm going to ask today, God, that you would help New Community Covenant Church to embrace the gift of Sabbath. We're all coming at this from different starting points. We have different imaginations for what this could look like. But God, we have seen again and again how good you are. We have seen again and again that you desire a life that is not weary and anxious and spread thin and stressed. You've made us to work and to work well and to work hard and to work with you in this world, but you have not made us for toil. And too many of us have succumbed to toil. Too many of us have assumed that our reputations are at stake if we reject oppressive toil. And so this is not something we can do on our own, God. We, 
We need you to continue to convince us of your goodness, to convince us of your good gifts. We need you to continue building our faith so that we can keep taking steps into your sanctuary in time. Church, just for two minutes, would you just ask the Spirit to speak to your heart? To clarify if there is is any invitation to you today. Maybe it is to say yes to this creator God, his son Jesus, for the first time. Maybe it is something immensely practical about how you could begin to receive the gift of Sabbath. Just take a couple minutes and let the Spirit speak. You are good. It's who you are. It's your nature. So today we will say yes to whatever gift you wish to give, whichever encouragement you wish to provide, whichever conviction you are now poking at our heart with. Whatever place of repentance maybe lies before us where we need to turn away and back to you, we'll receive it as good. Keep expanding our imaginations, Lord, we ask. Keep helping us to see that the salvation and the rescue that you have provided is all-encompassing. There's no square inch of our life, that there's no square inch of the creation that is somehow exempt from the good, uh, miraculous redemption that you are even now working through your son, Jesus. So we'll say yes, and we'll say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.